a seat. Again, welcome to Cornerstone. We're so glad to have you guys here. I just want to say it again. I'm excited to be here to worship with you. This is one of my favorite times in the week, getting together with God's people and just worshiping. Isn't that awesome? Who else loves that? You love it? Yeah. It's just a good time. Good time. It's good to have you here. If you're a visitor here this morning, we're so glad that you're here. In a little while, the offering is going to come around. And if you would like information from us, if you would like us to start talking to you about Cornerstone, there's a little flap in your bulletin. Just fill that out and stick it in the offering as it comes around. We really want to meet you and get you connected. A couple of announcements this morning. Um, uh, Joy Berg and Amy Henney both just had babies. Okay, so... Uh, they, they are going to be collecting. Jackie Gardner is going to be collecting money if you feel led to give money for those. Uh, so Jackie, she's over there waving around like crazy, okay? So if you feel led to give money to that, uh, both their baby showers um, have not yet happened. So we are, we are looking to give money uh, to make those happen. We're excited uh, about, we are obviously excited about our kids. We love our kids and uh, we want their experiences as new moms here at Cornerstone to be awesome. And uh, we, we look forward to making that an awesome experience. Um, next thing I, I want to say is, is just a challenge for us as a church. Um, we, uh, if you don't know, we just recently purchased uh, a building over at 6060 Beaver. And uh, an email went out this past week um, that just had a bunch of prayer requests, how you can pray um, about the goings-on and the, and the moving forward with getting that building uh, remodeled and, and finished. And there was a lot of prayer requests in that, uh, in that email that went around. And my challenge to us this morning, and one of the biggest things that I've learned in the, in the rough parts of this last year is to be able to, when, when uh, we have big prayer requests, when things aren't going as smoothly as we would have hoped, um, like with the building progress, this is an opportunity. It's not an opportunity to be down. It's not an opportunity uh, to, to wish that things were going better. It's an opportunity to look at these things and say, man, we serve a powerful, powerful God. So my challenge to all of us, my challenge to you, is to pray about these things. And as you pray, get excited about how we're going to see God answer these prayers. Right? Because we can't do anything to make this stuff happen right. We've got, we've got people working hard to do this right. And we are so thankful for these people. In the end, God is the one that builds the house, and if he doesn't, it's going to fail anyway. So this is an opportunity for us just to bring these requests before God and say we are so excited to see your faithfulness and how your plan is going to work itself out. Isn't that cool that we serve a God like that? Isn't that cool? If you agree with that, say amen. amen. we got to get an amen. All right. We're going to uh, just uh, take a moment now to just sit in the presence of God and uh, in the midst of what is going on in life, it's always good to take a moment and, and meet God where you're at because he's going to meet you where you are at this morning. Whatever you're feeling, whatever you're going through, just spend a moment to meet God in his presence right now. Good morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. We are going through the Gospel of John. We are in chapter 3 this week, and I believe it's about our seventh week uh, on the book of John, and we are uh, moving along at 
a rather slow clip, but we'll get through it uh, as we go through the summer um, and into the fall. So uh, we're excited about this series. As you remember, Austin uh, kicking the series off and, and being in John chapter 20 and saying, these things were written so that you may believe. You may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That is why John wrote this book, so we may believe and live changed lives, live new lives because of it. So we're excited to continue in this. We're excited to continue to go through the book of John together. So if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 3. What, what I love about John and what I love about the book of John is we get a great picture of what our God is all about. That our God is a relational God. That our God loves relationships. And he loves, most of all, to have a relationship with us. And if you read through the Gospel of John, you see this. You see his relationships with the disciples. You see his relationships with guys like Zacchaeus. You see his relationships with, with people like the woman at the well and, and the woman in adultery. You see relationships with that, like that of, of Mary and Martha. Jesus is relational. And God longs for us to have a relationship with him. Isn't it awesome that, that we don't have this, this set of rules and regulations that, that I have to meet, that I have to live up to, to be right in relationship with his son Jesus? That is who God is. He's a relational God, and he longs to have a relationship with you. And so we get to see, and we get to go through the book of John, and we get to see this firsthand, how Jesus had relationships, deep, meaningful relationships with people. And we see that again here in John chapter 3. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. John chapter 3 is the story about a guy by the name of Nicodemus. And again, this is a guy, and we're going to read more about him as we go along. Here's what it says. And now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jew Jewish ruling council. Nicodemus was a guy who was a Pharisee, okay? He was a guy that, uh, they say at the time, there was probably no more than 6,000 Pharisees, and what a Pharisee was is they were a teacher of the law, okay? You can go back through the Old Testament, and you can begin to read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You can go through that, and you can read about what the prophets wrote. He was a teacher of the law. He was a teacher of the Old Testament. This guy had knowledge, okay? He, he studied. Uh, he had some, some uh, significant worldly pedigree, pedigree, okay, we see that. We see he was also probably rich. If you go to John chapter 9, 19, it talks about Nicodemus again and how him and Joseph of Arimathea, uh, they went uh, to Pilate, asked for Jesus' body, and as they buried it, so we see some significance and, and probably had some wealth there as well. And so Nicodemus is a guy of great importance. He's a guy of great knowledge. He's a guy of great understanding of the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. He was a teacher of the Old Testament scriptures. More than just being a Pharisee, here's what else we see. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. This was the Sanhedrin. He was a part of this. Now, we, we, we talked about there being 6,000 Pharisees at any given one time. Part, being part of the Sanhedrin, there were about 70 people on this Jewish ruling council. Nicodemus was on that. So more than just being a Pharisee, he was kind of the cream of the crop. He was kind of one of the most important teachers there were. 
So in this time, Nicodemus, being not only a Pharisee, but also on the Sanhedrin, he was a guy of great importance. He was a guy that if he taught, you listened. You will learn about Paul, that Paul was probably also part of this. And there's probably a great chance that Nicodemus and Paul, the Apostle Paul, probably even knew each other. So here is Nicodemus. He's a great teacher. He's one that when he talks, people listen. He's one of great importance, great significance, probably great wealth. He has great influence in the time of Jesus. We also get a sense of his heart here, that he, as he comes to Jesus that we're about to see, He's a guy who is earnestly seeking God. He wants to know God. He's studied all about him. He's learned all there is to know about God. And he's earnestly seeking God. We get a glimpse of his heart in this chapter. It continues on. He came to Jesus at night. He came to Jesus at night. Now, there's a couple different teachings and a couple different beliefs at why he came to Jesus during the night. Two things. One, remember that, that Nicodemus is of great importance. He, he is a great uh, probably following. There are people who respect him. So a lot of people believe that he came at night because he feared the Jews. He didn't want people to see him coming to Jesus. And that, that may be true. Again, you can go back to John chapter 19. You can read in John chapter 19 when it's talking about him and Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, and it talks about them being secret followers of Jesus. We also see in John chapter 7 when it's talking about Nicodemus, and Nicodemus came to Jesus' defense. They start getting on him about coming to Jesus' defense. Probably no knowledge of him being a follower of Jesus, at least from the outside looking in. So he may have come to Jesus at night because he may have been scared, may have not wanted people to see this. We don't know. Another belief of why he came, and maybe it's kind of a combination of the two, is that he came to Jesus at night because it was the only time to get to Jesus. It was the only time you could actually sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus. You can see the stories. You go through the Old Testament, or uh, go through the Gospels, and you see stories about Jesus. You see stories like the woman in Luke chapter 8 who just wants to get to Jesus, or just wants to be able to touch his garment, right? But there's crowds gathered around, right? He's, he's feeding four or 5,000 people. There are crowds following Jesus. There's a story of the, the paralytic man that they're trying, his four friends are trying to get to him, but they can't get to him because there's such a large crowd. They go up on top of the roof and lower him in. So maybe Nicodemus is wanting to get to Jesus because at, at night because this is the only time he can sit down and talk with Jesus. Maybe it's a combination of the two things. But either way, we know Nicodemus wants to meet with Jesus. A man who knows the Old Testament, who knows who's been following God, who's been teaching God's laws and God's ways and of the prophets, he wants to meet with Jesus. And I love that picture because oftentimes for us, you know, we, we may have been in the church a long time. We may have been following Jesus a long time. We may have all the knowledge, but I love the picture that sometimes we got to get back to just being with Jesus. Forget about all the knowledge, and not that we want to forget about what we've learned, about what God has taught us through his scripture, but sometimes we just need to meet with Jesus and listen to what Jesus wants to teach us. We believe here at Cornerstone that the word of God is alive and it's active, and it is the very words of God. And so for us to listen and to learn and to read through books like the, the Gospel of John and to listen 
to what Jesus says, to listen to how Jesus tells us in which we should live. It's basic, but it's what God wants and desires more than anything else, that we'd learn to be like his son, that we'd learn to follow his son, that we'd learn to trust in his son. And so he comes to Jesus. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. I love the heart of Nicodemus. Remember, Nicodemus is a guy who seemingly, he knows it all. Who seemingly, he understands the word of God. He understands the law, what the prophets have written. He understands this. But what does he do? He comes to Jesus, and a man in, if you would line up Jesus and Nicodemus, and you would take their worldly pedigree, Nicodemus had it all. Jesus did not. Now, we understand Jesus being the Son of God had a whole lot more going for him than Nicodemus. But in a worldly point of view, Nicodemus, he was part of the Sanhedrin, he was a Pharisee, he was a teacher. I mean, he had all the pedigree that you could want. He comes to Jesus. First thing he says is, Rabbi, teacher, teacher. He understood who Jesus was. And as a teacher, some of the greatest things we can learn from a guy like Nicodemus is we never stop learning. That we may seemingly know the answers, have the knowledge, but he comes to him humbly, teacher. He wants to learn from Jesus. What a great lesson for us. And, and what a great example we see from, from many people here at Cornerstone that have been following Jesus their entire life. But even 80s, 90s, they still desire to learn. They still desire to hear from God and what he wants to say. And for us, what an example, that we would learn what God wants for our lives, that we'd continue to learn, that we could just sit and listen to Jesus. Rabbi, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. And here's how he recognizes that he's come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, there are plenty more Pharisees, members of the Sanhedrin, that did not have the heart Nicodemus did. Nicodemus recognized what Jesus was doing. He saw the miracles. He listened to his teaching. But Nicodemus, it came back to his heart, right? Nicodemus was truly seeking to know God. I believe it. I think we see it more as, as we go on through John chapter 7 and then John chapter 19 that Nicodemus was a man who not only understood, not only knew the law, but he was truly seeking after God. And I believe when we truly seek after God, and God is going to listen, and God is going to answer, and God is going to reveal himself to us. We know today that he does that through his word, that he will show us himself through his word. You know, there's too many people out there and, and being a youth pastor for five and a half years and speaking at camps across the country, you run into, I ran into a lot of people, a lot of individuals that you speak to them and they say, well, you know, Kyle, I, you know, I, I think this is what I should do. I just feel like this is what I should do. I feel God wants me to do this or God wants me to do that. And I always brought him back. Okay, so that's great, but let's, let's listen to what God wants. See, I can have a belief or I can feel that God wants me to do a certain thing, but if it is contradictory to what Jesus says, then no, God is not 
telling me to do that, or God is not telling me to do this, or whatever it is. Jesus is the truth, and we're going to see that here. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. I love this. Nicodemus, a teacher, coming to learn from Jesus. But what do we see? Nicodemus doesn't even ask him a question. He doesn't even ask him a question. One of the greatest teachers, he knew the Old Testament, he knew the scriptures. He has an opportunity to meet with Jesus, the Son of God. If it's me, I think I'm going to come up with a list of questions. Oh, Jesus, you know, teach me about healing and tongues. Or Jesus, you know, tell me a little bit more. I mean, the Song of Solomon, married couples, that's cool, right? You know, all that stuff. That's cool, okay? I would probably come with a list of questions for Jesus. But Nicodemus, heart for God, knowing Jesus is a great teacher, he's just coming to listen to what Jesus would tell him, to listen to what Jesus would teach him. So he comes to Jesus, and Jesus tells him, I tell you the truth. I love that statement. I tell you the truth. If you read through the Gospel of John, you will see this over and over. Jesus oftentimes, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Why does he keep saying that? Because what Jesus says is true. We live in a world filled with lies, don't we? Our enemy He's the chief liar. We have an enemy that fills this world and our minds with lies. But Jesus, he speaks the truth. Jesus is the truth. We have a world that tells us and feeds our, 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 that we aren't good enough. Jesus tells us otherwise. We have a world that tells us nobody loves us. Jesus tells us he loves us. The Father loves us. We have a world that says our past, we just sang about it, our past, oh, and the things we've done in our past, there's no way God could use us. But awesome to look and look through the stories in the Bible, how God used murderers, adulterers, people who were enemies of God, and God used them to perform and do great things for his kingdom. Jesus speaks the truth. Now, I encourage you and I challenge you, don't listen to what the enemy says. Don't listen to what this world says, because it's full of lies. But Jesus speaks the truth. And we see here, as he's talking to Nicodemus, he says, I tell you the truth. All right, Nicodemus, this world full of lies, the enemy full of lies, but me, I speak truth. We see in John chapter 14, he says, I am the truth, right? Jesus speaks the truth, he is the truth. If you want answers for your life, if you want to speak and hear what is true from God, look at Jesus. He speaks the truth, he is the truth. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus asked the question, how can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus is confused. Jesus teaching him. All right, Nicodemus, you know what? You know all there is to know, right? You know the law. You studied the prophets. You teach this stuff. But let me tell you what's important. Let me tell you the most basic thing you can know. You must 
be born again. Nicodemus is confused, but here it is. We, we are born alive. Every single one of you sitting here today, you were born physically alive. Physically, you were born alive. But here's another thing we learn from Jesus. You, when you were born physically alive, you were born spiritually dead. Physically alive, spiritually dead. And what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus, although physically you were born alive, you need to be born again. Need to be born again. And I'm not talking about a physical, right, Nicodemus? You're not going back up into the womb, all right? It's going to be a little tricky. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the spiritual. I'm talking about being born again of the spirit. A new life. A new creation. A new beginning. A new beginning. He continues on. I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. How can this be? Jesus' response, you are Israel's, Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Nicodemus asking, wanting, wanting to learn from the teacher, wanting to learn from Jesus. Jesus is talking very simply and very plain to him. You were born dead spiritually, and now you need to be born again. And this is a difficult thing for a guy like Nicodemus, who all his life has learned, read the scripture, worked towards being made right before God, learned the scriptures. All right, if I do this, and I do that, and I do this, I can be right in God's eyes. Okay, I will have these sacrifices I'll learn, I'll study the scriptures, I'll do everything that God has told me to do. So for Jesus to tell him this, that it's all by God, nothing by you, Nicodemus, all by God, that's a difficult thing for a guy who in his mind, in his heart, thinks he's got it together, thinks he's accomplished what he needs to accomplish. As a member of the Sanhedrin, as a Pharisee, as a great teacher of the law, he thinks he's got it together. But Jesus tells him otherwise. The most simple thing, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You were born dead, your whole life dead spiritually. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need. You need to be born again spiritually. And for every one of us in this room, that, that's the question we got to deal with. We know physically born alive, and we know someday Physically, we're going to die. But the question then for us is, have we been born again spiritually? If you want eternal life, if you want a life made new, if you want to be a new creation and have a new beginning, it happens through Jesus. It happens through having a relationship with Jesus, a relational God. Not a God who sits far away, but a God who has lived 
as we have lived, who died and conquered death by going to the cross. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? I've told you, Nicodemus. I've told you in plain terms. You know, just like you were born physically, you must be born spiritually. I've told you in human terms. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. He's telling Nicodemus, you know the only person who's ever seen God? That's me. I can testify to these things because I have seen him. I have seen him. You have to believe my testimony. When Jesus speaks, right, he speaks truth. Jesus is truth. He speaks truth. When Jesus talks, when Jesus speaks, we need to listen, we need to obey, we need to respond to what he says. He paints this picture. Remember Nicodemus, a guy who knows the scripture. He knows the law. He knows the stories of the Old Testament. Jesus tells him, just as Moses lifted up a snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. There's a story in Numbers chapter 21. And the people of Israel, they were bickering and they were disobeying God. And so what does God do? He sends snakes they start biting, people start dying. Isn't it great to live in an age of grace? <laughs> God doesn't send snakes to take our lives. They are living in chaos. Snakes coming, biting, people dying. God provides a way for them to be healed. God provides a way for them to be saved from this death. And it's simple. It's a snake on a stick. A snake on a piece of wood. And they'd lift this thing up, and if people looked upon this, they could be healed. They would be healed. And what Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you remember that? You remember that story in Numbers chapter 21? That's a picture of me, that I must be lifted up. And if you would look upon me, you could be healed. You could have new life. You can know what it is to have an eternal life with me. Isn't that an awesome thing? That I can be healed. Forget about all the crap I've done in my life. Forget about all the mistakes that I've made. Jesus wants to heal me. Jesus wants to make me a new creation. And he goes on to say what everyone, that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus offering Nicodemus the same thing he's offering us, that if we look upon him, we could be a new creation. If we look upon him, we could have a new life, a new life, a new beginning. If we would look upon him, we could have eternal life. Let me tell you about that. Eternal life is not that one glad morning, we're going to fly away. That'll be great to spend an eternity with him. That'll be great to be in heaven. 
But when Jesus says eternal life, he says right here, right now. That eternal life begins now. To have an eternal life with me, to be a new creation, to learn things new, that begins today. And it lasts for eternity. What God desires from us to look upon Jesus, to be healed, to be made new, is that today, it's not about my past. My past doesn't hinder me because I'm a new creation. It's not about the things that I used to do because I'm a new creation. It's about God want, how God wants to use me to further his kingdom. How God wants to use me to accomplish great things. You can be healed. You can be made new. You can have and spend an eternal life with him. This is what God offers us. He offers us eternal life. He offers us to be a new creation through his son Jesus. That if we just look upon him, we can be made new in eternal life. Continues on with the most famous verse in the Bible. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is it. This is all you need to know. This is the most basic thing that you could ever know. Jesus tells Nicodemus, listen, all you need to do is believe in me, and you will not be condemned. All you need to do to have an eternal life with God is to look upon me, to look at me to know and understand what he's going to do in going to the cross, how he's going to give his life up so I may live. A few minutes, we're going to come up and, and we're going to have an opportunity to remember what Jesus has done for us. We're going to remember his body that was broken and his blood that was shed in taking communion. You know, this is, this is the most important thing you can know. It's the most important thing you can know. I love going through John. I love studying John. Because John wrote these things so you may believe he is the Son of God. And in him, you could have eternal life. I want to read to you. This, is a, this was a blog that was written about a month ago. This was from a lady who sold real estate in Ankeny. She was 45 years old, battling cancer. A month ago, I, I was at her funeral. It was a sad story, three children, you know, around, I don't know, 19 was probably the oldest, full of life. Most importantly, she loved Jesus. She wrote this less than a week, just a few days before she died. And I want to read it to you, because this is the perspective we need to have, to look upon Jesus. If we want to talk about eternal life, this lady got it. She said this, hi all. It's been a few weeks, and I wanted to share just a quick update. The last time I posted, I was ready to try the stronger pancreatic targeted chemo treatment. However, the night before I went to, in to get the second treatment, I was feeling extremely weak physically. 
My weight was down to 112 pounds, and my breathing was also significantly hindered. These symptoms caused Tom and I to reevaluate our desire to try that stronger regimen a second time. We spent time praying together and giving great consideration of our options. We decided to go to the hospital. Uh, we decided to go to the hospital appointment and discuss our concerns with a doctor and then decide for sure what we would do. Morning came, and again, I woke up feeling weak and not physically ready for the big chemo guns. After visiting with Dr. Hughes, I had a piece, I had a piece about not continuing the chemo at that time. This was a hard decision. The cancer cells have spread, the growth is more widespread, and all of the chemo we have done to this point has not made any significant changes. Our hope was that the stronger chemo would make a difference. The cancer is aggressive and seems to be unstoppable. Another week has passed, and we continue to pray for a miracle. One thing that Tom has shared with me recently that has brought comfort is that God is revealing to, God is revealing to him a different perspective. He has battled in his mind why God would allow this to happen to me, why we would have heard over the years from many of our friends the way that God has used us to bring them to Christ. It has been overwhelming the love and encouragement we have heard from so many since we have gone through the crisis. Some of these friends have recently shared with us for the first time how we have impacted their lives towards Christ. These stories have been the most encouraging to me, and yet I think it has been the same stories that have caused Tom to wonder why. Why will God take Pam? God's work for Pam can't be done. She lets her light shine for God and share, or tries to do that at least, and share the reason for her joy and peace for everyday living. Then Tom shared with me that we can't understand God's ways. We are not perfect, and God's ways are not our ways. God may be seeing this trial as a huge opportunity to bring more people to seek God, giving me an unbelievable opportunity to point more people to Christ and build up treasure in heaven, true riches in Christ. Our desire to have this trial removed from us may be not taking away that opportunity to further the kingdom for God, or the impact that this could have on others in ways beyond that we can know or figure out. There is so much more to this life than the time we have here. I believe in life after death. I also believe that only those that accept Christ's gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sin will be in heaven for eternity. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. God gave his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay for our sins and rise from the dead so that we can have eternal life with him. If you have questions about your heart condition and want to discuss this further, please call me. I would love the chance to further to make sure that I can see my loved ones in heaven. If God chooses to call me home sooner rather than later, then I will be in heaven waiting for all of you. I want you there. I will certainly be ready to celebrate as soon as you all get there to meet me. It's easy to get to, to, so busy with our lives here on earth that we forget about life after death. But wow, life is short. We must consider eternity. We are all eternal beings. You will either live in the presence of our Heavenly Father, enjoying life with Him, and all our friends in perfect harmony, or you will live forever in outer darkness, separated from God and everyone, tormented forever. This is reality. If my trial is what it has taken to bring you to the point of making the decision to come to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then my suffering will not have been in vain. Bottom line, my decision not to continue chemo does not mean I am giving up on life. 
This earthly life is only a small part of my life. I choose to live this life in anticipation of the life I will live eternally with Jesus, my Savior. Though my flesh may fail, my God, you never will. A week later, she was gone. But that's perspective, isn't it? That's what it's about. We are eternal beings. Listen to this one more time. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the question for all of us. We are eternal beings. We were made for eternity. Will you look upon Jesus and be healed and be forgiven and have a new life? This is what God offers us in Jesus. And I'm not, I'm not trying to scare you into life is short, life is but a vapor, but it is. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. She was 45 years old. People younger than that die all the time, don't they? We see stories, horrific stories, of like what happened this week over in Boston. And we're reminded that life is fleeting. Life is fleeting. It's but a vapor. God has offered us a new life, a new beginning, an eternal life, an eternity spent with him. All we have to do is look upon his son Jesus. It's easy. It's simple. We must be born again. All born physically, all die physically, but not all spiritually. You are born spiritually dead. So the question now, has, have you been born again? Have you been made a new creation in Jesus? Let's pray. God, uh, I thank you for a life like Pam's. Someone who knew it, someone who lived it, someone who wanted others to know you, others to look upon you and be healed, spiritually healed, spiritually born again, spiritually made new, new creation. God, I, I pray that her life that she lived, even now in death, may impact us here this morning that we see a life live for you, and we're reminded that we are, that these lives are fleeting, they're short, and life is but a vapor. And that we would, because of that, look upon Jesus. Look upon him. God, this morning, for us that don't know you, for us that remain spiritually dead, that you'd awaken us to our need for your son, Jesus that even this morning we would look upon him. We would look upon him and be healed. We would look upon him and be made new. Only Jesus offers this. Only Jesus speaks the truth. Only Jesus is the truth. May this morning we look upon him. May this morning we be made new. New creations in you. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for wanting to have a relationship with us. Thank you for caring for us so deeply that you gave us your son 
to die for us. And this morning, as, as we look upon the cross, and as we think about this, this Jesus that died for us, this Jesus whose body was broken and blood that was shed, God, may we desire to follow him. May we desire to know the truth and to live the truth. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for who he is and what he has done. It's in his name we pray. Amen.